Comedy Pods proudly presents Garrett Teitelbaum. It's nice to see he's working. Today, we have Garrett Teitelbaum. It's nice to see he's working. Episode 106. Thanks for tuning in to another exciting episode of our weekly podcast here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where we sit down with comedians, actors, improvisers, politicians, I don't know, anybody who's willing to talk to Garrett Teitelbaum about how they balance doing what they love doing with making enough money to survive as a human being. And joining me on the podcast today, Pittsburgh native, Los Angeles comedian, JC. Don't make me do it. Do it. Like Coco. Coco Lee. Cocoli. Cocoli. JC Cocoli is what they say. Cocoli is how it's pronounced <laughs> in America. <clears throat> but when you're at Buca di Peppa, it's pronounced the other way. In the in the uh, traditional Italian. Sure. I mean, the two C's is different. I I would have to have my family that knows and speaks and sings in Italian dissect my last name for me. But now, are they the family that are from here in Pittsburgh? The yeah. family still here. Yeah, they're also. Uh, we'll they bring them in for next week's episode if you could contact <laughs> them. That would be great. They're they're good lovely. interviews yeah yeah they're phenomenal interviews and they will vouch that i was funny since i was a kid so that clears my story good good what area here in pittsburgh did you grow up in born in the rocks nice i was nice. born in the rocks the rocks has a new friday night open mic at uh the parkway theater for the last few months that my friend zach sipley runs you know what's fascinating and you and i were kind of kicking it at the bar earlier and having a, a nice cider grabbing a beer downstairs or a cider down at hop farm here in beautiful upper Which was lawrenceville because cool, in la i was telling you that i moved away and i was a la comic to start i got my game started in la and the Pittsburgh comedy scene, I'm sure, was here. There was the funny bone and the improv. But that w- I wasn't ready for that. But for some reason, when I moved to L.A., I was ready for, like, the Sunset Boulevard Laugh Factory. What so, made you get the itch when you got out there to, uh, well, to start getting up? Well, I got the itch in Orlando, Florida. Okay. There was a, um, a competition at the Student Union at University of Central Florida. And I was, like, walking past and um, had expressed that like I was listening to records at the time and stand up comedy. I was just great at telling a story. So I wanted to do it and I won that competition and I don't know what I want. I think like a DVD of how bad my stand up was, <laughs> which if anybody ever finds it, just send it to me. We'll videotape your set. <laughs> and I got the bug for that. And I had a really cool, I mean, I had the coolest, you know, 10 to 13 years after that as a female stand up, I worked at the laugh factory as a cocktail waitress They let me host the midnight show at the Laugh Factory on Friday and Saturday nights with Natasha Legiro and Nick Thune and uh, Tiffany Haddish and these comics that were just coming in and Neil Brennan. And and then I also lived in the apartments owned by the Laugh Factory. So I had comics over to come and kick it after shows. We would just sit around and other comics be walking in and out you'd see chris rock or john lovitz and it was just so weird and bizarre I'm sure very surreal in those first super years. bizarre so that was my scene so coming back to pittsburgh now and seeing how it's come full circle and seeing the comedy that's out like is really cool i mean you can get up two times a night almost five nights a week here which isn't you know How i'm sure what transit? you can do in los angeles 
if you are somebody who gets by with Uber or the bus, it's, Me. it's a little bit of a headache. We have comics that do it. I don't but, envy them. Oh, Uber is not good here? It, no, it's doable. It's just a cost, uh, not the most cost-effective way, especially because you're not getting paid for a lot of the open mics. And even on some of the showcases here in Pittsburgh, I don't know that the pay scale really stands up to major markets. But you're, I mean, listen... The improv or the laugh factory is not always going to pay my level of comedy yeah. that really great of a price. Sometimes, I mean, it depends like if I'm working, like as I'm working towards that goal, there are times when my paycheck gets a little bit bigger, but there are times when it's totally normal too. So you yeah. still have to be smart about how you make money. I can't just like throw it away, come to Pittsburgh and be like, I bet you I'll be um, big famous. <laughs> yeah, that would be so stupid. Well, that's always been the goal of this podcast. And for me in comedy is trying to find the way to be profitably funny. And mm. you, you're, you obviously get it through shows, but you can do it through sponsorships. I can do it through the podcast to some extent, to at least grow the brand and get people to come out. But I think taking a job where you're waitressing at a comedy club, putting yourself somewhere where you're going to see professionals, especially in those early years when you're first starting out in comedy is such a smart decision. What was it like during those early days where you're just in the in the in the club working and watching people do the craft that you're looking to do with your career? It was wild. That's a, a great question. It was wild because I was so happy and proud of myself, a from coming from the rocks and being able to do this and yeah. knowing that I had it. I just was there was my tone wasn't there, my voice wasn't there yet, but the the bits were there and they were starting to curve and. The Laugh Factory owner, and you know, Jamie Masada, people who have known, it, whatever you believe about people and club owners, it's like in that moment I was being molded, not necessarily by him, but just by the club itself. Yeah. So being there for the uprising of so many comedians' careers, Kevin Hart being one of them, um, who is just notoriously known for being just the kindest guy to the cocktail waitresses, right? And I, then, I was lucky to see him in 2003 at Jokers in the Dayton area when I was in high school, and so funny, just, at, long before he had any success, but a genuine person, shook everybody's hands. Unbelievable. And, and, you know, I can rattle off a list of male comics, but the ones that came in that really stunned me were Tiffany Haddish and Natasha Legiro and... The ones that had different voices, Eliza Schlesinger and the Whitney Cummings. And when the people came in and it, everyone had a different style, they're not always going to be the taste of everyone. But to me, as a, a cocktail waitress, being friends there and and knowing the bar staff and being there for um, Michael Richards' uh, racist meltdown oh, uh, for the, that weekend and then getting back to the comedy store um, and, and rest in peace, Mitzi Shore, who just passed on. And that style of people hearing about things I was learning so much about the culture of comedy um and how it was dominated by men from what I saw in the club oh, certainly but I was seeing a bit of an uprising I think in my opinion um and not in a way of like you know for fuck men it was more of like women are starting to really kind of come on stage on Sunset Boulevard and now looking back on it should I have held my craft in a different city I I don't know but I know yeah, that what I did, point. you know, it's like, do you hone your craft in your own hometown or do you go elsewhere? And now that I'm seeing it, you know, as a 13 year right. LA yeah. comic and then coming back and being like, oh, OK, so now I can like work the material that of your own hometown. How fun. Right. And it, there's but it was nice for me to gr get to grow here though my first few years in comedy without any eyes. There's no pressure. You're not uh, surrounded by decision makers. So you can really hone your craft here away from 
a big scene. So I see there are pros and cons to getting to do it in Los Angeles. Do you... I don't know if like the suits scare me more or the yinzers. Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) How different is a Los Angeles audience compared to either places you've toured or shows that you've gotten to do back here in your hometown? Uh, You know, I, I, I can't wait to do more this week. For the Burning Bridges Comedy Festival, uh, and I'm excited to do the Pittsburgh Comedy Festival in August. Um, whatever they have me do, whether it's just perform or MC, or I kind of pitched an idea where I would do what I do in LA, um, like an art house party scene where it's you know street art, vaudeville acts, sword swallowing, stand up comedy headliners, and then musical, either comedy or just music in general. And you have your brand new showcase starting next week. Yes, at the Improv in Hollywood. So we're doing a art house party there, and it's this monthly show that'll go on. Um, and it's the Hollywood Improv is a really cool space. I would say it's my home club, um, and I do believe that it has a, a vibe to it that you just can't quite beat. Yeah. Um, so it's cool, and, but I'm looking to unpack Pittsburgh's vibe. Like I'm excited to see what this is capable of. Yeah, most certainly. What is it? Do you obviously you didn't do comedy when you were here, but do you remember the entertainment business at all when you were growing up in McKee's Rocks? No, I mean I remember Icy Light and <laughs> Permani Brothers. I don't quite remember associating Pittsburgh with the arts, and I I've said this so many times to people. And it's where you grow up too, and it's how you grow up. And it go, ha, some of my family is in the arts now in, uh, in Pittsburgh and always have been. Oh, very cool. Musicians and uh, singers, et cetera. And then the other half is not a part of that system where the politics or whatnot going around. I didn't associate stand-up comedy with Pittsburgh at all. In fact, I think I was so young in one of those, like, I just got to get out of here. Right. Kind of kids. And then you learn that you can do your job pretty much anywhere. Did it in Tokyo that past month this past month and then very cool denmark and australia took it to miami for art basel and then san francisco canada it's just you can pretty much produce comedy wherever you want to produce it but you have to all you need is a microphone it's one of those few art forms that all you need is at least somebody's attention yeah an ambiance and a way to make money yeah free shows are cool but it'd be nice to be turning a profit especially when you're north of 10 years in in the industry to stop having to give your time up for free. Yeah, and we've been doing that too, by the way. We've been like, I just had to grab my purse audience. I brought some grade A legalized California marijuana. The fanciest of. Garrett's been enjoying it with me because it's legal and you guys can't stop us. We're in a weird church or something. Um, we're above a brewery. It's a church brewery. <laughs> Well, there is the Church Brew Works here in Pittsburgh, but we I, I just think it's an old warehouse. There used to be a big cat factory next door with just, just an old warehouse with just cats everywhere behind it, but they tore it down. So it wasn't a cat factory. It was a All building right, so with a lot of cats around it. What would a cat factory really be? Well, I was enthralled. Remember I told you a little bit. Boys, never listen. He's going to cough for 15 minutes. This is going to set us back. I know. How set us back. We're He's not, now, wait for it. I'm okay. Mm-hmm. I'm having a good time. I'm pretty good at being a professional. Okay. Uh, fuck up. This is not about fucking up. I don't. I don't subscribe to that narrative. If anything, I'm the most successful person. Well, I'll tell you what. I've then. ever met. <laughs> <laughs> My parents listen to this show, and if they don't know by now, I do smoke on a fairly regular basis. It's been a part of my life for a long time. I, cigarettes? No, no, no. Marijuana. I don't smoke cigarettes You know, at we're all. calling it cannabis now. You have to change your narrative. Cannabis. Okay. Cannabis. Because cannabis has healing opportunities and 
and it has the ability to solve some issues that normally pills and such would do. So the idea is to shift the narrative from you pot smoking, weed smoking, marijuana heads. Any sort of weird guilt that I had associated with it before I was keeping it secret from them. And now that you've brought it into their conversation in their earbuds, now they'll have to address it with me if they haven't already. I mean, the good thing about it is that it's sweeping the country and it's fixing a lot of tax issues, right? The bad thing is that it's regulated. We're not super knowledgeable about it. We kind of just smoke things without questioning what it is. And I think that part has to change and i took a uh, <laughs> i took a cannabis class in la with a bunch of female comics some very cool sketch people and we got to learn there it is you guys hear that he's been holding it in the whole time i tried to go so far off mic that it was undetectable but you got it me. was not undetectable you guys know he just coughed up a lung and he's dying right now god you're stubborn what's your you're jewish that's right. i am you told me that were you gonna ask a sign is that what you're about to mm-hmm. ask I mean, what's your sign? Virgo. You an astrology person? No, I see. I only know me. So (laughs) what sign are you? I'm a Scorpio. Okay. So I know myself, but I don't know why I take that. I mean, I have read about others, but only I don't know what Donald Trump is. Yeah. What your partners are. Yeah. What's the California perspective on our president as the state that probably had the largest margin against him? Oh, boy. Oh boy, I was, I'm moving to Denmark, by the way. Are you? Yes. I'm, I think I'm taking my, while he's in office, I think it's best that I do what my heart wants to do and go and do comedy in Denmark, Copenhagen. I found that place really cool. Get to travel, get to see some new places. I felt the connection with it and I've been in LA for a while and it doesn't mean I stop anything. I write or I work on some kind of production show because as a comic, you can be versatile. You don't have to be a star. Right. You can be a writer, a producer. You can be, um, you're quitting? No, no. I just took the headphones <laughs> off so I could be here in the room and be present with you. I trust that I can watch the, the little bars go up and down. We're about 14 minutes in. I know you were keeping a clock on us as well. I'm not keeping a clock on you. Like you I'm just know myself. Just for where we have to be. I normally go about an hour. Are we going to be okay? Yeah, I can do that. What I don't want to do is talk for two hours. Oh, no, no, no. that's no. who I, I am. When I started doing podcasts, I used to go that long, but I've gotten pretty good at kind of looking at the, the clock at the 20 minute and the 40 minute mark and kind of steering the conversation. Listen to me. So we get out of here You're in an hour. You're a goddamn pro. I'm more <laughs> thinking like, what can I do tonight? And if I want to go and hang out tonight, like if we want to get a beer or something Oh, sure. After. Run over to the Shane Torres show. Tonight's the first night of the festival. If we can make if it. If we could make it to the end of his set, perhaps. <sighs> You're telling me that it won't happen. Okay, you guys. Donald Trump is a Gemini with Leo rising and Sagittarius moon. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> I assume it means... He's a great guy. <laughs> yeah, uh, one of the best and... No complaints. <laughs> Ta- could top notch. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the world changed in... Not, a, not that it ever changed. No, the world opened its eyes to what we, we really are, I mm-hmm. think, the day that we elected him. Mm-hmm. But have you noticed any sort of a change in the environment in a fairly liberal market like Los Angeles? I, I just I really do feel as though it became just a battle cry on that end. It became just a rise up like the whole uh, idea of being complacent is like no more type of thing. Yeah. And then I've I've tried to open up my ideas to what's going on on that side. Um, 
because I like to understand what's going on on that side. My, my mom was a Trump supporter and, and I do feel as though they have an opinion. They have thoughts. We have to hear some, but at the same time, I, I mean, I'm like, I'm moving to Copenhagen. This yeah. Is well, terrifying. This is a state that did go red. And I mean, Ohio, where I grew but up, like, was the that's same. The thing and, is, yeah. I'm not a politician. So I, I'm wearing, you know, giant hoop earrings and talking about how cannabis is the, like, the right <laughs> thing for me. So I'm not his demo. Right. Because I'm like, whatever business suit man who's probably not happy or is happy, who cares? What are you going to hurt people? And then when he does, then I'm like, ugh, revolution. <laughs> so. The world hasn't changed. Nothing is too terribly different with him as the president. Yeah. Do we? Th- I think it is a battle cry to some extent. It's been nice to see more and more people showing up at these protests. We just got to see that they hopefully show up in November and vote. And That's another thing. It, you know, after watching the Rajneeshi thing that we were talking about that you said you haven't seen yet, but it was like Wild Wild Country on Netflix, and it was pretty cool. I thought it was pretty awesome. It had like elements of cult life in the 70s in Oregon and from this quote cult Rajneeshi and it just had this style of free love. It was basically Woodstock that moved into Oregon and then began to take over their town and then the people of Oregon were like, get these people out of my town. (laughs) They're having sex openly in public and et cetera, et cetera. So it's this really cool series and I'm like, we're we're watching different shows on Netflix that show little parts of different towns, and I'm wanting to explore them now. Get out and see the world, sure. Get out and see the world. <laughs> Join the Rajneesh. You know, there are probably some ideas in cults or religions that have some merit on how to manage your life, yeah, you know? Catholicism. Is that what you were brought up My in here in the Rocks? Cult. <laughs> The originals. Yeah, I was. Um, I went to St. Malachy's Catholic School, the same school as Batman, Michael Keaton. If you know, fun fact. I've heard about ba- uh, Batman before. Yeah, M- Michael Keaton was Batman. The or not the original Batman, or is the original Batman? Um, the original in the Tim Burton movie sense, yeah, but not not like the comic book. Yeah. Um. So he went to St. Malachy's school and I went to St. Malachy school and in the movie Multiplicity where mm-hmm. Michael Keaton plays a mentally un mentally slower I don't I didn't see it I know he gets cloned he gets cloned That's and one of the clones isn't that bright and it's wearing a St. Malachy shirt in one of the scenes oh cool and that was my like favorite <laughs> moment of like I could be anything <laughs> they filmed the movie Milk Money in the town next to me growing up where Melanie Griffith is a prostitute mm-hmm. and the kids buy her for the dad who's Ed Harris I would love to see a festival here in Pittsburgh of like the Pittsburgh Film Festival films shot, shot in, in Pittsburgh. the area that would be a really cool thing to see, um, especially since this town I'm noticing is really changing. It is budding. It's really starting to grow. Wow, it's cool. It, it's it feels like a. I wonder if people like are gonna be like JC, you're a loser. But I'm like, <laughs> it feels like it's like a new New York. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, what is it? What's the response like in Los Angeles when you talk about Pittsburgh? What do people think about it? Is it just stereotypes of Yinzer type folk or what do they assume we are when they're out there on the West Coast? Well, I have this show on the Internet called Yinzers. And it was a six episode series by Maker Studios, which is now owned by Disney. And Maker Studios had 
a digital series that we created and I, I got a six episode order for my Pittsburgh character, uh, Bev and was it Bev and Reage? Just two Pittsburgh, like a Pittsburgh family that accidentally gets internet famous because of a video that goes viral. Oh, cool. And I play all these characters and they're, there's something interesting about Pittsburgh that hasn't been necessarily like thrown into play yet. Nick Kroll did it on his show. Oh, the Pennsylvania sketches are so exactly. Funny. And Pittsburgh Dad does it. And there's This Is Us Now, which people love, by the way. Yeah. Mandy Moore and I had jury duty together in LA. And it was one of the funniest things that's ever <laughs> happened to me. Wow. <laughs> True story. Did it's, you get on the jury together or did you both get out of it? physically got on the jury. No. Can I tell the story? Yeah, of course. It is such a weird, amazing. I like this is that. I remember candy. Yeah, mm. but that's the thing is candy. So go back to like, I, I went to Orlando, Florida for college, not because UCF was a great school at the time. UCF wasn't really that well known. I went because like pop stars lived there. Like that was my Orlando is where T- uh, yeah. not TRL, but like Mickey Mouse Club. Yeah. And, and I was like into Justin, that and Brittany, no one Christina. stopped me. <laughs> Nobody stopped me, and you can tell by the way I dress. Like I still have like that pop, bubblegum pop yeah, style. Yeah, absolutely. About it. But I, but I've lived a life. You know what I mean? So I went down there, and well, I they're re- like eighteen when they get famous. They don't have grit or if, life or exp- if they get if. famous, fair. But it's not even about that. It's about like it was me having that nineteen nineties or two thousands pop obsession, right? Yeah. And then getting to LA and being there for maybe six years, seven years. I can't remember, but I think it was two thousand eleven, either two thousand eleven or twelve. I get called in for jury duty, jury duty in the summer and you sit in this room. It's a, maybe about 100, 150 people and they're calling names every little bit. You have one headphone in and you have to listen on the other ear. And then my name gets called. I get up. They, they take you to a group of 20. They split you into two groups, 10 and 10, and they make you get into an elevator and then the groups go up. In my elevator, I'm looking down and I'm like, all right, JC, you've prepared your statement you're just supposed to have a bias one way or another. If you want to get out of it, yeah. have a bias, have an opinion. You don't want to be here. You don't want to be here. It's minimum wage. Yeah. It's a waste of your time. Just like be strong and be a bias. I practice. And I'm looking down. I see this cool pair of shoes, these like Chanel flats, these gorgeous Chanel flats. And I'm like, nice shoes. And I look up and she goes, thank you. And I was like, Mandy Moore. <laughs> and she goes, yeah. And I was like, Mandy Moore. This is before This Is Us. This yeah. is after Candy's when she was married or was married to Ryan Adams. Brian Adams. I don't even know. One of the one of, one the, of Adams. the Adams. And I'm not even a super fan, but at that moment I was just like, this is the weirdest, coolest thing ever. <laughs> I went to school in Orlando and I was like, Do you want to be jury duty buddy friends? And she was like, Totally. So we sat next to each other. We like hung for maybe an hour, two hours. Like, do you have gum? Yes, I have gum. Chit chat hang out. Yeah, yeah, you have chapstick. Oh my god. Not like thinking, what's your plan? What's your plan? I just knew she looked professional. She sounded professional. We get up on the jury and they say, um, Amanda Moore, and she stands up. What do you do for a living? I work in entertainment. Would you be okay to be on this? Blah, 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 blah. She gets called on. And then they get to me and I'm like, okay, so I could, should I stay with Mandy Moore? Do I still get off or do I try to hang out? (laughs) Do I try to hang out with Mandy Moore? And it turns out to be like the OJ Simpson trial. We're friends for like 10 years because (laughs) of it. And we write a book and then Mandy Moore and I are like BFF and I'm in This Is Us and that's how it works. I loved it. Or do I get the fuck out of there because I don't want to be there. But (laughs) so I, you know, I take the second option and I say 
my piece and I'm like, you know, the other, it was like Ho- uh, Jose Gonzalez versus the LA Metro bus system. So it's like a guy versus a bus. So I'm always going to take the bus down. Yeah. I'm not going to take the guy down. I would hope that <laughs> in the, in the grand scheme of things, we all take person over bus. Hundred. I, I, I would hope, hope any human being that I bring into the chair I hope is willing to take that choice. So I say it. I said I saw a bus kind of pop up on a curb trying to make a right hand turn. So I'm biased towards the bus. They let me off. And as I walk past Mandy and I'm not kidding you, she goes, you son of a bitch. (laughs) And I never saw Mandy more again. Oh, my goodness. I tweeted at her the next day. Hey, Mandy, it's me. (laughs) JC from Jury Duty. No response. She is not happy. Second tweet. Mandy. Are you still on the case? <laughs> <laughs> no answer. Oh, that's so funny. Is it I funny? love that. And now fast forward, she's doing a Pittsburgh and Pennsylvania now she's a, show. Yeah, Pit- yeah. You could have been her Pittsburgh advisor. Well, I think this story alone, I have told it so many times. Like I was in Tokyo, I told the story. I think this story is so funny to me now. And like I'm as I'm hitting my thirties, <laughs> not giving you the full number. <laughs> I I'm starting to take on signs of when things happen and just accept them as they roll in Yeah, and not be like, this happened for a reason. I'm not that way. I just, when it happens, I'm like, okay, then I'm just going to go with it. I've been going with the things. It's a much better way to be. Acceptance. So now I'm like, all right, so this is how my life is going to be. It's just going to be flow. I'm not going to reject anything. Well, it's like we were talking about earlier today. We had a lot of delays that got us onto the microphone together. I rear-ended somebody on my way home. Everyone was okay. Mm-hmm. Exchanged information, got home. Then when I went out to get to the car later, developed a flat tire. Mm-hmm. So then we got up here. There was an improv team practicing. Yep. There were a lot of hiccups in the way, but at no point did I get upset no. or frustrated because these things happen. Yeah. I have the means to get an Uber over here to still be able to come in, do the interview. The show must go on. We had scheduled this time. I wanted to be here. The and fans are waiting. The fans want another episode of the podcast. <laughs> you know, they are hungry. And if they want to give back, we do have a Patreon and they can check out patreon.com slash title bomb to become one of the beautiful bombshells members of our fan club and you get exclusive bonus content i know it's exciting and guess what here in the great pittsburgh area if you love pizza stop by the official pizza sponsor of our podcast driftwood oven right on butler street at their brand new physical location those two boys have been with us since they were a fledgling little food truck here two years ago and we are so happy that they have a physical space just down the road from the unplanned comedy studios jc what are we having fun i am do they have gluten-free pizza there i know that they do a vegan pizza i don't know if they do a gluten-free option i'm telling you what that's the new bread yeah gluten-free get on that tip I believe it. I'll pass the note along to Justin and Neil. I'm actually doing a secret show there here during the Burning Bridges Festival uh, Saturday night at midnight. Oh, I wish I could see you. I'm seeing. So I know you're not still around that late into the fest, but. Dang it. But I'll come back in August. Oh, beautiful. We'll get you. We'll do a show together or something. We'll figure it out. Yeah, that'll be fun. Because I want to see those venues. I want to see what spaces are cool. Are we doing. Uh, shows at like the mattress factory does that happen around here or no so it doesn't happen a ton josh fatum had booked it out on valentine's day but then had to cancel for another commitment because i was supposed to be over there for that show um and other than that i don't know that i've heard maybe some music but no comedy to my knowledge at the mattress factory 
but they've been open to it in the past. Good for them. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to be open cool. to things and acceptance. That's what we were talking about before plugs. They're going to be like, this hippie bitch. <laughs> Get her out of our red colored country. Well, talk to me about your art house party show coming up. You mentioned that it's it's definitely not just a normal stand-up show. Cool. Yeah. No, it's a, um, it's a version of what I like most about live performances, art, music, avant-garde style and then comedy and when i can complete the show with those elements i send a better fan base to me in los angeles Mm -hmm. so street art say outside on the patio we're doing live art in front of the crowds or there's you know a (laughs) reflexology masseuse giving the way the five to six minutes there's a cbd oil like person giving away cbd oil and letting you test out brands you get into the improv comedy lab and along the walls, we've pulled off the pictures of comedians, not insultingly, just because what this once a month is going to let you buy art. So it'll be curated Very for the cool. show. And then two stand-up comics will perform and then we interview and then maybe a sword swallower or a mime, something Some interesting. Some sort of street performer or something yeah, different, something bigger. A really cool style that is... Entertaining to me, weird to me, things that I find stoked. Like, there's some great clowns out there. Oh, I'm sure. What's it been like since you moved up to Venice um, as far as your exposure to that sort of a community? Yeah, I, you know, I've not ever, I was not raised in a street performer lifestyle. I grew up in McKee's Rocks and, you know, maybe Aunt Helen was a street performer, but in her own way. Not a lot of busking going on in the rocks. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. So, but I know that there was dancing and music and art there at some point. I just don't know. I wasn't around then or I wasn't privy to it. But I do think that there were different places in Pittsburgh that today I'm like, dang, this is going to be a cool art scene. And it really is popping now. And L.A. has that on Venice Beach. But it's like, I mean, it's a wide ass beach. Don't get me wrong. It is the coolest thing. Sure. It. I live, you know. I manifested this house that I would rent with people I could rent with and live a life that is comfortable for me as a woman who's like just, you know, finally got that voice in comedy after 13 years and now can really physically do the work and put the effort in and and really put the pen to paper and aim for that Netflix special. I'm not the, I'm not broken yet, but it's coming in whatever version it's coming, but it's so long as I can pay bills and live a good life and, you know, try and knock debt down or yeah. whatever and save well, the planet. Slowly but surely try and reduce your, what you owe to the world. Yeah. Both financially and then I'm okay uh, spiritually. Sure. It's, it's, it became a hunger. I think maybe my first five or six years into the LA scene where I was like, I gotta get famous. This is, it has to be fame. Well, when you're surrounded by it in Los Angeles, it's probably in the forefront of your mind more often than it is anywhere else. And it's interesting because what you should be concentrating on is probably the work and the effort and what to do and not necessarily the fame task. And I think everybody's different. People switch things around in different ways. Now that I know that there's a steady, like real life mindset to it in professional way of going about it and an interesting way and how like with apps and technology comedy has shifted and turned into so many different directions yes you can do a number of different things and there's no one dream job other than the chance to do stand up and perform it Mm -hmm. I think for a lot of us absolutely and taking what I know from the stage and bringing it to 
say fashion and style, I get yeah. really down with that vibe. So a brand will come to me and want to do an Instagram video that can, it would be like a digital ad type yeah, of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a cool, it's a cool way to make money. Yeah. And because you're working with different brands, now you're, you're if the not, products you enjoy and you're excited about. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and, and it's sure. wild because like you do stuff for Hurley and then I'll get to do stuff for fuel and jump networks, um, vice or adult swim, which is freelancing really yeah. at its core. And when you get those gigs, when, you know, as a writer for maker studios, um, that was in Culver city, right. When like the heat of the digital world was kind of coming up, I learned so much about, that space yeah um from that writing point of view so now it's where are we channeling our energy and what what part do we want to make money in the most and what advice do you have for people who don't really even know the first steps to freelancing or trying to get comedy adjacent jobs that maybe people aren't necessarily thinking about when they think about a career in comedy it, you know what's cool is if I can do it again, like if I could come back and guide Pittsburgh the way like I saw it. Yeah. Guide Pittsburgh. It sounds so condescending. No, but we all learn things along the way. And yeah. If, if you're not passing it along to other people, what yeah, are you doing with it? Yeah, what's the point? But, but, but Pittsburgh could be such a cool scene. With what I've seen and what I've been a part of and what I've produced, it, sponsorships and things that we were able to get and nail down and create and curate an experience that led to a festival environment. Yeah. But it, it calls for acerbic, acerbic wit and yeah. desire and talent. And I do think comedy comes in different stages. So it's how do we make this resemble an art form that is just like, popping right or is it popping at the improv and i don't know in homestead i mean i would say that they draw well on the weekends but they're not getting pittsburgh people they're getting suburb people mm -hmm. for the most part in their audiences they're getting the people from butler county and westmoreland county and things Got like it. that they're not necessarily getting people from the city of pittsburgh um they definitely under the new ownership seem to have done a better job in the last few months of investing in some local people, mm -hmm. giving some new people some opportunities in some of the stuff that they've done. But the previous management, for the most part, the local comedy scene would tell you didn't invest in many people, maybe one or two. But there is a plethora of talent of people who are ready to feature who I think deserve opportunities. There are cool. a couple weekends of the year. Um, it would be nice that if we had a second club, the arcade is now kind of stepping into that space and trying to book a few more standups. Yeah. The Carnegie Hall right across the, I mean, in very close proximity to where the improv is. Yeah. Um, I just got tickets for Maria Bamford there in October. I've seen her, yeah. Hannibal Burris there. Love um, Aaron Kleiber, local guy, just taped his special there. Um, so there are venues that draw well, even not too far down the road over in Shadyside. I saw Tig Notaro at the Kelly Strayhorn Theater a few years mm -hmm. ago, and I would love to see more of those sorts of spots bring in comics. Yeah, because that's what we can do. And I think that the Pittsburgh has the clout and the, you know, the vibe yeah. it really does. And it's nice to have a clean slate almost like this is New York is bustling. Like, believe me, it's like popping, but sure. Is it too full? You know, are we too full? And then it becomes not as good. But there is something about when a place or a city or a thought or something has momentum, you know, you grab that. And I equate it with, you know, acceptance. But I'm from Pittsburgh. <laughs> the Penguins, the Steelers, the things that are active. Black and gold. This is, this is us. The <laughs> things that are now in my ether 
as I'm going through the scene, I'm like, oh, this is maybe it's Pittsburgh's time right now. And I think of yeah. that not only as just a comic that's from here, I think of it from a writer's point of view where we're tapped out in cities. People are starting to really dig into other towns right now to see storylines because entertainment is coming from some of the most interesting cities now in the nation that aren't necessarily just like San Francisco. Well, and we all have access to a camera of high quality on our phones mm-hmm. immediately. We have the ability to put ourselves out there to get in front of people that we never would have had the opportunity to get in front of before. Yeah. And no I watch what those videos. You're from. Yeah. I like that stuff. I like I like people. I like real people. That's why I don't really deem myself an actor. I've given it a go, but yeah. <laughs> I'm just myself. <laughs> What what do you enjoy about acting and what do you find stressful about it when you've had the chances to do it? What do I enjoy about acting is really zoning in to the project and the job and working with the director and the whole team to kind of um, execute what they envision, which is really cool, and then seeing it happen. What I don't like is repetition and long hours, repeating it, repeating it, repeating it. I can, but I do find that I'm not necessarily... I like to be... I really do like to be a producer behind okay. the scenes. I like the, the supervising producer position of a TV show. I also enjoy acting and doing the characters in the wigs. I think that's badass. And in the digital space, you can do all those jobs. Oh, it used sure. to just be like you were just a producer. You were only an actor. Now this, I like have so much respect for Jared Leto because he was a musician and an actor. And I remember when everybody shit on him, he was like, pick a job. It's like I like doing both. I like doing both. And guess what? Both. I'm talented. Yeah, and I have people around me who are willing to support me through both projects. Why wouldn't I take advantage of them? Because you live your best life. Right. You have one life to live, live your best life. So it's... Nobody in this world would have thought that Donald Glover was going to be an EGOT by the time he's 40, but there's no chance in this world he doesn't get it at yeah. this point. Oh he's one of the God. most talented human beings on the planet. He is super talented, huh? I did a show with him back at UCB Theater. It was on the maybe 2013 or 14. Nice guy. Right when um, the show he was on was becoming big. A community. Yeah, community. Yeah. And just, it's nice to see it because it just really is, when you break it down, it just is jobs and work. It's about time you return that key. <laughs> Thief. Well, it's his his property. Right. Thank We're you. just here supervising, making sure that nothing bad happens. He to, smiled, right? Yeah. Okay, good. I mean, as much as anyone who <laughs> left Los Angeles for Pittsburgh uh, could, you know. <laughs> Left Los Angeles for Pittsburgh. That's yeah, great. he spent some time out here. He's opened this theater. That's Woody Drennan, our proprietor here at the Unplanned Comedy Hi, Theater. Woody. Shows every Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Check out the warehouse and unplannedcomedy.com for shows and information. JC, have you ever gotten to do any gigs in Ohio? I know that's a, like a one-state wow. sort of question, right? That is a heartbreaking question. I have not. I don't think I have, but I bet you I would like it. Yeah. Um, no, I haven't done any in Ohio. Pennsylvania, I've done a few in different places. Coming up on May the 21st, I am going to be... No, May 20th, I'm going to be at Wiley's in the Oregon District of Dayton, Ohio, closing out their Sunday night open mic, doing the 20 to 25-minute closer set cool. when I'm back for my sister's graduation. So very <laughs> excited I just lined that up, but I figured I would mention it in case anyone listening <laughs> is back in the Southwest Ohio hometown Garrett Teitelbaum fan club that just, <laughs> you know, really wants to come out and see me do a long set at a club. 
Uh, it'll be my longest opportunity to uh, perform at a club. And Wiley's was a place that I used to go when I was growing up. So it's pretty cool to get to go back. Oh, boy. Wow, I'm happy shucks. for you. Yeah. It's nice. Do you remember in those first few years any, like, big sets or things that you're proud about now? Like, those big moments in comedy along the way that still stand out? Yeah. I think the first time I was able to connect my set fluidly was a bit a Vespa bit and then it followed by a guy's tooth falling out on my forehead bit mm. and it had such a great flow to it and I began to see pop culture too and really create a thread that was topical so it had a freshness to it each time I went on stage and really honing in on the craft as I kept going and figuring out how to get better and then there was periods where I would take you know a year to really be like it is what it is uh, it's not going to move any further like but now I'm at. in the scientific stage, which is such a fun stage to be in, of how to work it. And, and now what, what are we talking about? What are people wanting to hear? Navigating that chip in a way that isn't necessarily offensive, but still yeah. can be like broad enough to cover what I want. Because I would like to be a comic that is talking about something that they are interested in. And I think that now a lot of comics really are so feeling empowered to do it yeah and it's really cool and, and it, maybe this was always how it was i don't know i wasn't around but well and but you've been around for 10 years now or yeah. 12 years and you've you've gotten to see yourself grow and change through that time and the comic perspective is always one that has to self-analyze and obviously look at the world in a different way but you have to be introspective and and focused on figuring out who you are in order to be able to talk about it on stage in a meaningful way, it feels like. Yeah, and with the female empowerment going on and the Me Too movement yeah. and the conversations that are happening on and off stage and around are really starting to take... Um, they're taking... It's taking a cool turn. And it now feels as though that there's so many women with something to say, so you don't want to be that dummy comic that doesn't do their research right yeah you want to be informed you want to be informed and you're the one with the microphone you better be the most top you know (laughs) knowledgeable on this topic because it used to be you know i would play around i would say character stuff but now i care about things and now i'm like starting to get into the the ideas of like what's my point on this planet if it's not to be a superhero like that (laughs) that stuff and i really do have that sensibility it's not a savior point it's like i've gone through so many good and so many bad like anybody else but now i'm like i think i'm just gonna live my life like a like a surf babe who like is a comic who just wants positive vibes and like won't let you sex traffic it's a good policy to have great policy (laughs) and i stay in my lane i'm trying to just stay in that lane and of course i'll go outside of lanes well we have to once in a while and test our own boundaries one question i've been asking guests for the last few weeks that i really like what can we do to improve what's the one thing you think we can do to improve all of our mutual experience here on the planet um and i know that's a big question but if we aren't looking to make the world a little bit better for everybody then we're falling short i think as a society i think the answer in my opinion is to meditate yeah i think meditation whatever way you look at it i just kind of look at it as being in the moment breathing concentrating only on my breathing but understanding my thoughts are coming through but just breathing that has over the course of a certain amount of time slowed my heart down slowed my anxiety down slowed my sensibilities down to a place of peacefulness of good decision making as opposed to erratic or etc and 
less car rage. You know what I mean? It sounds yeah. hippy dippy, but it's just it's like you put the work in and you really are calmer. How were you able to develop a practice? Because I've tried and I've had ebbs and flows with it. And I, I definitely see the benefits on the days that I do it. And as somebody who is constantly trying to stay present and in the moment, mm-hmm. um, what was it that helped kind of ground you in your practice? I really just began to make it a part of positive thinking and very much like Tony Robbins lifestyle of just mind over matter where I my parents are both teachers I'm fully subscribed to that sort of stuff yeah Yeah. where the I think I can versus the I know I can and the versus the I am yeah and I think that has really become super fascinating to me of like anything my mind is put to I can do it and it can be done so this is easy and I am willing to work through it. And as I started to see the benefits of it, whether it was a peacefulness or a sense of uh, euphoria or whatever, when I hit that one part of my mindset of meditation where it feels like I'm a Yoda, yeah, which I had only seen in Star Wars and didn't know experience in real life. When I hit that one phase, I was like, oh God, <laughs> I'm a powerful being. How do I do all this? things? Yes. Yep. <laughs> and some people would dedicate their lives to that, which is fascinating. Yeah. Um, and then others work maybe out of mind or out of fear, et cetera. So I'm, I say that was the, to me, what would benefit the world in my opinion, but I wouldn't want to force anybody to do it. Of course it's not for everybody, but if people took the time to try, I think that's one thing that we forget too, is that adults don't like being bad at things and Mm. it takes Mm. practice and it's not something that you're going to be good at right away. And there's no, nobody gets a gold star in meditation. That's so true. Adults are afraid of being bad. Yeah. When you were a kid, when you wanted to do something in McKee's rocks, I bet you woke up early, you put in some effort, you made sure you focused on whatever it was, whether it's, you know, a sport or a hobby of some kind. When you're little, you're willing to be bad at something and try to get better. Yeah. And as we get older, at least now that we both have stand up as our muse, um, you have a thing that isn't always good. And the the fine tuning of it, I like the that stand up's not always great. Mm-hmm. That you have to try mm-hmm. words different ways, that you have to plug and play and figure out why a joke's not great. Yeah, yet. I think I quote love it too. Yeah, I think about it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I quote love it. Ugh. Quote, end quote, forever. I know, but it is an it's an addictive behavior too. I do find words fascinating and placement of words fascinating and how a tone going up versus a tone going down versus a physical movement versus not a physical movement. Stand-up is just so powerful. Yeah. And I, I really love it for that reason. And I also like bad stand-up because I do appreciate the movement enough, but to a, an extent. Yeah. I won't go with like, I haven't gone to like really, really bad stand-up that I've paid for. I, I get really lucky in L.A., I was going to ask because really we're it, what we're seeing when somebody does a Netflix special here mm-hmm. when you're not in Los Angeles is the final product of something. But you get to work alongside and watch yeah. some of the people work on those hours That's as true. they build towards these specials and see them when they're still in development and the jokes aren't great yet or they're in different orders that don't flow as well yeah. and different things. I've been running shows in L.A. for 10 years. Fringe, keep it clean. I took over um, Natasha Legiro, Maria Bamford, and Melinda Hill's show that was called Tiger Lily back in the day, maybe like 2009. Okay. And um, 
producing your own show out in LA, I was very specific about how I wanted things. And it was this amazing bar called public house that was able to really hone, give us free beer and pizza to pass out to the crowd. And then I started to make it specifically like I wanted it to be late night sets. I want these standups to come in and rehearse their late night sets. And that was so cool to watch these standups come through and oh, work yeah, their I'm sets sure. out and then have periods of when they wanted to do, um, a residency but th- it was never an announced conversation. It would just be like, oh, Tig would show up and she's going to come here, you know, three weeks in a row. Or Hannibal's going to come in here and now the crowd's going to be just like w- wailing over. And whoever was going to pop in was going to have a residency. Kyle Kinane being a couple of comics that came through. Yeah. Whitney Cummings back in the day when she was doing more of those rooms uh, and less of those like halls. <laughs> I guess it was. Before. Yeah. Um, so seeing... And even to the comedy store and seeing like Bobby Lee at the time, who was always kind of out and about and Jeff Ross, who was out and about these comics that were a little bit older than me, but just were always around and are, you know, friends of mine in my phone that I say friends, but it's like acquaintances. But if you texted them, they would probably reply back in a week and a half. (laughs) Yeah, they'll get to you. Right. They get they get to you. Right. And it's not even about the fame of it. It was just like, okay, I'm I'm in this scene. So I guess what it is is it's normalized me now and it's made me really appreciate a funny comic, not a man comic, not a woman comic, not a black comic, not a handicapped comic. It made me appreciate a really smart comic, someone that took their point of view and molded it into a set. And yeah. now I'm seeing a different actor or character or person through the eyes of this person's experience. And that's what to me stand-up is. Have you seen a rise in the number of women that are pursuing comedy as a profession? Cause at least as far as I can tell now that I'm in the industry, there's a, I can name a dozen more names than I could have before I was just, when I was just a fan, mm-hmm. but it certainly isn't the number of male comics that the average person can name. Yeah. And I bet if you, you and I who have insider knowledge, um, can do a lot more than random person at the bar downstairs. You don't know random people at the bar downstairs. That's true. They you were down there before I was there. They seemed smart. very friendly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's a combination of things. I think it's the times. I think it's what's going on in the media. I think it's awareness. I think it is always been, there has always been uh, female comics. And I do think that maybe now we just know more of them. There also is an influx of people powered, empowered speakers and journalists are now in a way comics. Sure. There is a version of comedy going through Twitter that is like the clapbacks and the things going on and the media. It's the style of comedy is kind of opening up in different ways. So whatever version you do to make money is the the smartest way. Yeah. Um, Hopefully you're good (laughs) and that it's working out that way. But sometimes maybe it's not that great. Some people kind of go after influencers or whoever. But I'm like, if you make money, if you're making it, if you do what you like doing and you're making enough money to pay your bills and have a roof and a little bit of weed on the weekends, but just chill out. And as long as you like it, because there are some gigs where I'm like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to write for this or try and write for this. Yeah. And you do it anyway because sometimes it is a check, but you want to get to that place. And people always ask you, you want your own show. Is that what you want your own show? And it's, I, I think 
I'm really fascinated with different versions of the entertainment business. It doesn't have to be my own show. That doesn't. Yeah. So how do you weigh picking a project that you might not be super passionate about with the paycheck? Is there a scale that you look at? Like if there are certain things that you're just like, I have no interest in pursuing something like that. Mm -hmm. Or if it's, you know, offensive for offensive sake. Um, Are there certain types of things that you've turned down, even if the money was good? just because it didn't feel like a good fit for you, JC? Yeah, I mean, maybe more reality programs. Mm -hmm. I would say that those were things that, you know, as a comic in, for me, my experience was I was getting a lot of your personality, your personality. So I was getting hosting gigs and I was getting opportunities to um, man on the street or do segments, which was really cool. But at the same time, pranks were something where I was like getting a lot in the beginning of my career. And I was a ballsy Pittsburgh, you know, comic. Yeah. So I was like, you know, I can do a prank. And then as I got older, I was like, I feel really bad. <laughs> like <laughs> people I get so worked up over some of I those things. Really? These people are like, like no one deserves to see me walking around with a pregnant belly, smoking a cigarette, seeing if anybody would like fight with me oh god which if you see that prank by the way it's pretty great but that was like my last curtain call (laughs) i was like i'm done after this This is my retirement in the heart of la i have like three cameras going and it was it was for um, a mcg pilot on fox and it didn't make it to air but it had the same crew as the jackass production crew oh yeah sure it was them producing it so we had the jackass sensibilities so i was like on a version of that show where after i got done with it i was like i'm grateful for the paycheck but i don't think i can do pranks anymore (laughs) i just don't have the heart for it just like eats away at you a little bit because and people are getting more and more like <laughs> murderous. Like, oh, yeah. you know, I'm going to end up worked up people that can still prank prank. I give you credit, but I just don't have it in me anymore. I just want to <laughs> like hang out with the old people that just want to kick it. Yeah. Just be relaxed at this. point. I want to make food. You know, I'm like Amen. a food comic. Now I might be on this show in the summer. Fingers crossed. Probably they were going to be like, you're not supposed to talk about it, but it's not like it's going to go to like CBS or anything. Right. I put it on the internet so it goes to anyone who can find the specifically RSS. CBS. I won't directly send it to Les Moonvaz or anybody. No, I hope I get on this. It's fine. It's advertised, but it's like a cookie. It, it's called Cook It Yourself, and it's two comedian friends cooking for um, not a competition, but basically like you have your friends come over and taste your food. And your friends, when they come over, guess what they're called? Your taste buds. Ooh, I like it. It's pretty cool, right? I'm pro already. So I, I hope it goes there. Me too. <laughs> that and sounds fun. Our, our audition tape was really cool. And we had just gotten back from Tokyo. We did a 19-day stint in Tokyo where we, we did the Tokyo scene. This is you and another comic? Me and another comic, Lindsay Ames, who does characters and stand-up and um, has her own show over at the Upright Citizens Brigade oh, dope. Um, That's in awesome. Franklin. So she uh, had opened for me. And I was doing 45-minute sets, 25-minute sets, and 35-minute sets all throughout Tokyo. Uh, I had a gig in Osaka. Did you have any translators at any of those shows, or is it all so English audiences? here's the thing about that is every place I've gone to though, so thus far, I've looked into the comedy scene of English-speaking crowds, and Tokyo was very easy to have an English-speaking scene. Oh, good. It's expats, Indian, uh, Asian-American, British sense. pub scene. And it, you know... Of course, I would love to do stand up in Japanese. That would be super cool. Good skill to learn. But Until then, doing that and being there and enjoying their food and the cuisine. And Lindsay is also a part time chef. Oh, wow. So we have this element of we're doing comedy and mixing food and what we're yeah. doing. And it is really cool. 
Um, so two female comics on the road doing it. Is I love really, that. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty rad. And I would hope that being on it, because the background of it, I was just like, you know, I was raised in Pittsburgh. She's a chef. And I'm like, I was yeah. taught to like make things very quickly because the game is on. Now, I've been lucky to tour um, last year with another male comedian. What's it like touring as two female comedians, especially doing it in a foreign country? Um, is there any major... Uh, well, concerns or where it, you stayed? I only know it as two female comedians, so I don't know how to compare True. it. <laughs> um, I would say that the way we tour is we have a hell of a time. Um, we enjoy ourselves and we meet cool people and we are super confident and trained in what we do. So it, it, it just is a cool way to do the show now is it super high maintenance 500 audiences no i mean 500 people audiences no it'll maybe be like 50 or 100 yeah. a show but you get the door right and then you've got eight dollar sake and you're making friends with people from tokyo and osaka and then they're making friends hey come play in the philippines why don't you play in the philippines that scene's starting to pop off too nice oh what can we do with the philippines could i bring art house party there and that's how yeah, you can kind of jump and, you know, that's how I think Coachella and the FYF festival and things like that. That's really cool. But there are so many opportunities for live shows to be like around constantly. These cool avant-garde ideas that can be money making. Now, from a business standpoint, do you do are you LLC or you what's the way that you've been able to financially look at comedy? Because I just had to LLC myself for a, my day job as well as switching here in April. So I'm going to work for a friend's company and do brand rep representation for a few auto dealers in Ohio. Mm-hmm. But with the podcast, with comedy, I'm looking to bring it all under the LLC umbrella yeah. and try to figure out how to way to, again, be profitably funny here in the long term. Yeah. And I've produced shows here in Pittsburgh. So I'm definitely curious just to pick your brain on how you've well, structurally set your life up. I think that there are so many ways that I did things wrong and there are so many ways that I've corrected it because I didn't have the financial knowledge in the beginning of when I started doing this. I didn't really even know I was going to start producing shows. It was kind of, I fell into all of this in a really cool way and was able to keep getting cool gig after cool gig on uh, MTV, on Comedy Central, bounce back to like Lifetime Network and work in these really different ways. But I wasn't zeroing in necessarily on what I really wanted to work on. I was really true to myself and I was like the travel channel or Nat Geo. You (laughs) know what I mean? I still am floating with the other opportunities that are coming through. But you asked me uh, about which part of that element? Um, Like when you decided to make the shift to an LLC. So I think my when I formed an LLC with my friends from Maker. Okay. That was when I really took it seriously. I still have yet to form an LLC for my company. And I always. Yeah. And I always think about that. Because I'm still, that hustling element is still there, but I had manager and agent and lawyer before. Sure. But creatively, I still wasn't there yet. Makes sense. I had that stuff, but not until I didn't have it did I really hit this peak of like, oh, now I see what I'm doing. I have to take full ownership. Now I get what I need. Now I see the staff. Now I see how the money can be made. So now I'm dialing it back after learning lessons through different ways. Yeah, of course. And really seeing things for the bigger picture. If I want to have a family, how is this going to look? Yeah. How is this going to look if I want to come back here? And do we want to start a scene in Pittsburgh where it's profitable and that be moves L.A. and Pittsburgh through in a way that I'm used to doing in L.A. that I'm known for in a cool way, but not in a way that's like 
booming making money every night it's they right. get a cool tab and a great bar to go to we'll do it at the improv we'll make a little if we move it to the main room you get more but if you shoot a pilot and then it goes to netflix you get the most amount and then you take it live etc it's like it's really possible well Anything. and and how do you get that balance uh especially in la of having material out there either online or in the public that's not fully formed yet or is not like ready for a special or a clip to be submitted yeah i try and have a filmer come to all of my sets recently i think pay a filmer um for me has become the new 2018 mantra pay a filmer because it's just the set that i'm trying to work on and stuff that i'm trying to deal with it's like times have changed i want to see it visually i want to look at it i want to see what joke i like I record stuff, but I also know that the visual is just nice to have because it's just a fresh pop-up yeah, of new absolutely. stuff. Yeah, um, absolutely. You can gauge a lot from how you sound on stage, but there's nothing that replaces the visual because it's the full component of your act. Yeah. And maybe the joke didn't land because you didn't inflect the right way in your voice, but more than likely it's because you're not acting, you're not showcasing, you're not doing the the joke, you're just saying the words. Yeah, 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 phoning it in. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's a process that I like to go through. Um, And then sometimes I'm like, fuck that. I'm not watching these tapes. (laughs) You know, I get the monster inside of me that doesn't want to look at anything. It doesn't. It's like. We'll never do it. And I do it. And I'm like, oh, listen to it again. And then as soon as I start listening to it and then I laugh and I'm like, okay, I'm good. And then (laughs) I'm back to like being okay again. But it's fascinating to go through and and try and pick it. Like, this is my first time really saying, okay, we're getting Netflix by 2019. Like, I'm going to get that. Putting a firm goal out there in the world. Good. And when I did it, and I did it for Last Comic Standing, and when I got that piece and I did that episode, it it came out really great. And it was a high point. And there are so many high points that I think in careers that you really just have to be like, oh, that was a cool point. Because it's very much so. Very much a cool place to be. And then having it call out Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and me starting this career as a stand up, kind of coming in, but owning up to Pittsburgh and then coming back in the LA scene and just hustling. Yeah. And trying to just get better and staying out of the drama as best of my ability because it's just not. It's not play. worth it. And it happens in every scene in every city. And obviously with the size of Los Angeles and the scale of who the people are, those things happen at a larger level there than they will anywhere else. And we grow up a bit too. Mm-hmm. We, we totally grow up and I'm like, I mean, we can guess we can fight or I'd love to just like make money. Well, yeah. just us as a society in general haven't done enough to really empower our female members. Yeah, And yeah, we're yeah. slowly getting there and it's going to make... Again, more incremental changes to get ladies, there. Ladies, it's so, ladies night every night. As part of the Me Too movement and with so many talented voices in there, how have the events of um, you know the fall of Hollywood and, and the past few months, six months, seven months now that we've been since the Harvey Weinstein mm-hmm. story at least broke, um, how have things changed in the rooms as far as what female comics can talk about or or are you finding that you're more apt to talk about certain topics with sex and things that you wouldn't have talked about before um i don't know about sex i mean two separate questions in the style that like the me too movement has brought on a sense of you know god i just (laughs) it feels like a dome of safety around us now where we can speak up and not in a way of like everybody has to go to jail not in a way of everybody has to lose their job i think that's uh happening right now and people are like well everyone's gonna lose their job then it's like i don't know some people are after your job but some people aren't yeah it really is just like transparency has become number one i think right now 
And uh, that has happened because of the digital age and apps and vines and live streams. And now you can, if you want to tweet at uh, James Franco about him being kind of weird to you in class, (laughs) you can do that. And that transparency is happening. And some people are running for the hills because of it, because they've, you know, Hollywood has always been things to hide and a shadow of itself. Right. And now it's being revealed that your favorite stars are dicks right. or your favorite actresses or et cetera. And not actresses, but very rarely is that happening, but <laughs> the style of actor or this, that, and the other, and the abuse that's going on with this producer and this writer. And, and we're sitting back going, Oh, well, duh, that's what it's been. But at the same time, duh, that's what it's been. But now it doesn't have to be that way. And that's the changing factor in this movement. And it, I do believe it's, uh, really illuminated the comedy scene it's highlighting voices now that are just really getting airtime yeah. it's cool as hell really cool as hell to see and and i think now the men that stand behind the act it's badass and also there's not there's going to be some that fall off and that that is going to happen it happens too. and it should probably because it's like not everyone's going to be on the same side and i'm probably going to ha- be pissed one day because they say something and i'm going to be like i'm going to find this motherfucker <laughs> But at the same time, it's like we live, we die. We live, we die. And I'm I'm going to do what I like to do, which is try to spread a positive message or whatever I can. And if I fuck up, try to own up to it. And then as a comic, work in that medium. Mm-hmm. But who knows? I might have completely go crazy in when I turn 50. And then you're going to have me back on. And you're going to be like, what happened? What happened to JC? <laughs> well, we've hit an hour. And I know that we wanted to make sure the Shane show is over. So there's no chance we can Great. make it to go see him. You can't know where to be. Um, what time is it? 10.15. 10.15. So we've got one segment that I've been doing a few times here for the last few months on the podcast. As somebody who grew up in Ohio, I'm a big fan of classic rock. Um, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is based in Cleveland. It is. I've been to it before. Very cool. So... Uh, I made the goal when I turned 30 that I wanted to listen to every album by every member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because I'm a glutton for obnoxiously sized projects. So with this episode being number 106, we're going to take a look at the people who were inducted in 2006. I can't wait. And you're going to pick one of these bands and they're going to become Garrett Teitelbaum's new favorite band to jam out and listen to when he's riding to the comedy shows. We got Black Sabbath. We got Blondie. We got Leonard Skinnerd. We got Miles Davis, and we got the Sex Pistols. Blondie. Blondie. I love that. <laughs> love that. That's Duh. a good one. A little Debbie Harry. I'll have some fun with that. I'll be honest. When Mike connected us, Mike Sullivan, our mutual friend, mutual I friend. looked over your resume, and you've done so many really cool things, and I could have spent the whole interview fanboying about all of your accolades and the things that you've accomplished in your L.A. years. But I just wanted to have a nice, genuine conversation, especially after we got the chance to have a beer at the, or a cider at the bar downstairs beforehand. Love you and correcting I, that it's a cider. Well, I think that's I very sweet. I don't want anyone to be mis, uh, misinformed <laughs> on what, what my night's been up to. Um, but in closing, I just am always curious how you approach writing, whether it's for stand-up or for TV or sketches, do you have rituals that you kind of do that keep you focused when you do it? Do you keep notes in your phone? What's your style? What's your approach? I'll keep notes in my phone. I will set boundaries for myself because I can tend to pr- procrastinate. I'll do maybe a half an hour a day on each project and then roll back to it again for another half an hour. Okay. 
and I keep it, I break it up because it seems to help me. I'll put stuff in my phone. I'll get a, somebody to record. I try to do a bits and pieces of each. I cataloged for a little while, cataloging jokes, which I thought was kind of neat to do. What do you like, f- keep them in different folders? Sort yeah, of? and then it became too much where I was just like, okay, I need to be digitally <laughs> prepared. Like I'm not going to be <laughs> carrying around like 50 note cards of like Fair. my cool jokes. Let's not be that way. So yeah. I, I'm learning what works best for me right now. And I'm like, I'm really thinking about when I re-listen to sets before sets, it's that's when I really enjoy it the most. Sure. I like to really listen to stuff. So part of me is now like, okay, do I want wireless headphones? And that is that kind of what I want to be listening to when I'm on the plane or et cetera. And how am I bringing in the current events with my set that I've already planned out? How, do the, how does what's happening fit into the, the thesis or the story, at least the narrative? Totally. I get that. Yeah. And, and I think whatever the result is, I'm stoked about it. Some, or sometimes I hate it. I yeah. listen to my voice. I want to kill myself. But then <laughs> I got used to listening to my voice by now. I do like listening the day of a show to old, the recent new sets yeah. because it's like the tag worked. Let me make sure I do this. If it's not part of the, the set that's always in there, it's like, oh, make sure you try to remember what's working yeah, in, yeah, in, yeah. in the moment at least. Sometimes. sometimes. Other times I'm like, how about I just... Why don't I just go up there and see what happens? Yeah, and- I'll just eat this tiramisu <laughs> and then hit up the stage. If the listeners would like to follow you on social media or find out about what shows you have going on, what is the best way to do it, JC? Sure. Uh, www.jccoakley.com at JC Coakley, J-C-C-O-C-C-O-L-I, J-C Coakley. And if you want to follow me, I am at Dropping Bombs, B-A-U-M-S, on Twitter and Instagram, Garrett Teitelbaum. It's nice to see he's working is the podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, share. And if you are in the California, beautiful, cannabis-friendly state, please stop by next Tuesday, the 15th, to the Hollywood Improv for the debut of the art house party brought to you by jc coakley (laughs) what do you say kid thank you guys so much thank you for doing it i think you're really neat oh arigato daimas you have been listening to unplanned comedy pods a podcast collection